Thanks for joining the Church at Nolensville Sermon Podcast. We exist to engage the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. Anytime, anywhere, with anybody. If you've ever raised a child, if you ever were a child, so show of hands, how many of you were ever once a child or have raised a child? Just try to ask a question everybody can answer every once in a while. Um... The reality is, at some point in your life, you probably, you probably had something happen, maybe a mistake that was made, decision you didn't want to do, I don't know, you did something, and you knew you had to face your parents, you, you knew that something was going to happen, and for 20 minutes to two hours, you sat in a bathroom somewhere, staring in a mirror, and rehearsed your story. You ever been there? Okay, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to say, hey, mom... That what had happened was, and then you go through step one, step two, step three, step four. You have your story rehearsed. Hey, I messed up, but, hey, this happened to me, but, and you, you have your story rehearsed. And you don't know necessarily how your parents are going to respond. Perhaps you had parents that as soon as you started in that way would put you on their lap, give you a hug and say, you're loved. You'll always be loved. What's wrong? Maybe you had parents who heard that story and all they wanted to do was tell you why you failed and why you were a failure and made it worse. We, we rehearse a story when we know something's gone wrong. You know, we've, we've probably done the same thing with God. You, you ever had a moment in your life where the, the weight of the life, the weight of a sin, the weight of a struggle, the weight of brokenness was upon you and you knew you needed to run to God, but you really... You didn't know how God was going to respond. You didn't know how Jesus felt about you in that moment. Maybe, maybe it was late at night. Maybe it was in your car. Maybe it was after a monumental mess up. But you came face to face with who, who you are in that moment. And you knew you needed to run to God about it. Like, how's he going to respond? I've never met anyone, including myself, who's come face to face with who they are and, and liked what they saw. King David, who we're, we're going to read from in just a moment, came to a place like that. Probably the lowest point in King David's life. King David, who was a man after God's own heart, went from shepherd to king. And as, as so often happens, had success, had strength, had devotion, but it, it, it faded. And, and then what we're going to read today in Psalm 51 this is what David said to his king, God, after the biggest mess up in his life. And not only did he know it, not only did he know God knew it, but everyone knew it. The prophet knew it. People were wanting to use him. He didn't really have a friend one. Jonathan wasn't there anymore. And this is at the lowest point in his life. He, he responds to God. And today, as we talk about letting go of the past, there's there's beauty that I want you to see. One, I want you, want you to see the God we serve. But also, I want you to see the posture of David's heart. And we need to learn from both. And so Psalm 51 reads like this. David said this after one of the darkest nights of the soul. He said, be gracious to me, God. According to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. 
For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You're blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop and I will clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face from my sins and blot out my guilt. Verse 10. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then, then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. David says, I've sinned against you and you alone. He says, God, create a clean heart, steadfast spirit, and rejoy to me the joy of your salvation. And so God, today in the seasons of the soul, we need to learn how to let go of the past. Find your forgiveness, find your grace, find your cleansing power. And so do what only you can do in these moments. Be alive through your word. Speak to our hearts and call us to yourself in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. David was at the lowest point in his life. After the Bathsheba instance, things went very very poorly for him. He was at a low. And in verse one, he's like, God, you've got to blot out my rebellion. I want you to wash away my guilt. I want you to cleanse my guilt from me. He feels the weight of his sin. Verse three says, my sin, my past is ever before me. He really feels the weight of what happened. And I think, I think that's a good thing. I think feeling the weight of our sin and our past is a good thing. Wait, why in, why in the world would we, we want to feel the weight of that? Why would David want to feel the weight of that? Why should we feel the weight of that? That's a great question. Number one, it might just be the Holy Spirit calling you to repentance and forgiveness because you, you feel the weight of where you've been. But two, listen, if you don't feel the weight of your sin then you don't celebrate the forgiveness that God offers through Jesus Christ. And if you don't celebrate the forgiveness that God offers through Jesus Christ, then you don't fully worship. And if you don't fully worship, then you miss the reason why you were created. You were created by God for God to worship and make him known in his glory. We got to feel the weight because it leads us to worship. Listen, the reality is, and I love you enough to tell you this, the truth is we are far more sinful than we think we are. But God is more glorious than we can imagine. We're more sinful than we believe we are. And God is more glorious than we can imagine. And, and David, David has a dark spot in his life. But he knows, he knows who God is. And he knows that God chases after those with a past. He knows that God can wash away guilt. He knows that he can cleanse from sin. And David is coming to the one that he knows is capable of doing that. Every year he saw it in their culture. David was the king of Israel. So he was very familiar with the Jewish system of uh, forgiveness and sacrifice. 
And every year he would see this happen in the Jewish uh, day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. So look, sometimes I'm going to preach, sometimes I'm going to teach. We may do a little teaching preaching here. Is that okay? So on the day of atonement, Leviticus 16, once a year, the great high priest of Israel would come and, and, and make a sacrifice for all of the sins. That great high priest foreshadowed Jesus, our great high priest. And he would have many tasks on that day. And amongst other things, he would, he would bring two male goats before the people of Israel. And he would turn his attention to the, the people and the two male goats. And he would have a box and he would shake the box. And inside the box were two lots. Think about dice. And he would remove them. And on, and on the dice, one was written for the Lord. And on the other was written Azazel, which, which means scapegoat. And the lot that would say for the Lord was for the goat that was going to be sacrificed at the temple that day. A day wasn't going to end very good for that goat. That was for the Lord. And the high priest of Israel would come to that goat, the one that was for the Lord, and he would just put his hands on the head of that goat. And he would confess the sins of Israel over that goat. And he would basically say, Lord, what, sh- what is going to happen to this animal should be happening to us because we're wicked and rebellious. But by, by, the, by the shedding of blood, would you forgive us? It's foreshadowing Jesus who shed his blood the final time. Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. But he would say, God, what's happening to this animal should happen to us. But you're a God of mercy. And through the sacrifice, would you provide mercy? Would wrongs be made right through the shedding of blood today? It's the doctrine of propitiation. We don't want you to just gather. We want you to think deeply about what the Bible teaches about Jesus. And the doctrine of propitiation was exhibited this day. It was a foreshadowing of Jesus. And it was a truth that said, this is how rights, excuse me, this is how wrongs are made right. Something has been wrong, sin, guilt, shame. This is how it's made right. At that time, through the shedding of blood, ultimately through Jesus's shedding of his own blood. And that was one goat. But the other goat, the scapegoat, our boy Azazel, he was different. There was, completely, there was a completely different thing that happened to him and something that was symbolized. And the, the high priest would tie a, a red string around his head or around his neck to, to symbolize, hey, this is the scapegoat. And this, this goat would symbolize another great theological truth called expiation, which means to cleanse. See, not only are wrongs made right, But on the day of atonement, all of the guilt and shame and stain of our past is cleansed and forgiven to cleanse. And it's it's interesting because cleansing is important because our past, our sin, our brokenness causes us to be and feel unclean. And the Bible uses that language a lot, unclean, unclean. But expiation talks about how, hey, we were unclean, but Jesus makes us clean. And the scapegoat, Azazel, wasn't sacrifice. The first one was for forgiveness, but not this goat. This goat would, would wash his hands, hand him to another priest, and that priest would take him about 12 miles outside of the village, outside of town to a ravine, and they would push him down into a ravine that he would be unable to escape. He couldn't come back. He was gone forever. And then they would say, in essence, our sins have been ran out of town. 
we can now celebrate. And they would have people designated along the 12-mile journey back that would celebrate and wave flags and dance all the way back until the news hit the village that, hey, not only have we been forgiven, but our sins have been run out of town. They are gone, never to be remembered, always to be removed forever and ever. And there was this celebration. Hey, our, our rights, have, our wrongs have been made right. But we're also clean. We're forgiven, but we're free. God has forgiven me, but he's also cleansed me. And David knew that was true. But it's devastating as a pastor. Because I walk with people all the time that, that don't fully believe that that's still true today. That, yeah, I can be forgiven, but I got stains that may not come out. I get propitiation. I get someone making my wrongs right. But can I truly be cleaned? Can I truly be not only forgiven, but washed completely clean? Yeah. You need to know that Jesus gets down to the soul level and not only forgives, but he cleanses. Romans 8, 1 through 2 says, There is not, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You know what no condemnation means in the Greek literally? It means no condemnation. Which means the condemnation that you continue to hear over your past is not from Jesus. Not only are you forgiven, not only do you belong to him, but you can be clean. Because God doesn't condemn those he loves. He convicts. Draws near. But conviction is always sweet and brings us to repentance. But condemnation is a lie from the enemy to keep you down. And so perhaps you hear, you're a failure. You're miserable. How could a mom do that? How could a dad do that? Why would you continue to walk in those ways? You might as well get up. You're a loser. If you're hearing that, that is not the voice of your king. It's the voice of your enemy. God doesn't speak condemnation over his people. He speaks conviction, which is, hey, I've got greater holiness for you. Walk this way. Hey, you should love them differently. Hey, I've got greater purposes for you. It's specific and it might sting, but it brings you to new life. Because God says, not only have I forgiven you, but I'm able to cleanse you. And we as a church say, we all have our past and we all have our brokenness Bring yours to Jesus. Welcome to the family. Let's walk in new life. And we want this to be a safe place where you go, hey, it's okay that we're not okay. We just don't intend on staying that way. And I'm here to tell you if the church would ever figure out how to love people with a past well, revival would break out. I don't want us to ever be a group of people that looks down on our noses at others. But by the grace of God, we'd be in their past too. Amen? But what David knew is there's a king who offered both forgiveness and cleansing. And he, he brought his brokenness to Jesus and said, heal me. And so I want to I give you three things that you can do as you, as you approach your king. I want you to learn from David both who God is, but also in his approach. Number one, and if you're taking notes, write this down. If you've been with us for a while, if you're not taking notes, church, what do you do? That's right. If you're not taking notes, write this down. Number one, 
Number one, we'll put it on the screen. I will own my past. I will own my past. You can't run from it, and you can't run away from it. Look at the person on your right. Tell them, I will own my past. Now tell the person on your left your deepest deepest secrets and sins. Tell them right now. (laughs) I'm just kidding. This guy over here is getting started. Calm down, sir. Not yet. (laughs) We want it to be a safe place, but you might wait till a life group. (laughs) You cannot outrun your past. A new marriage doesn't fix it. A new job. A new city a new career, a new life. You cannot escape it. Because everywhere you go, you go. And David owned it. He said, this is who I am. And God, I've sinned against you. And we spend so much energy trying to act like we don't have any brokenness that we never get to a point of healing because we don't get to the one who can. Instead of hiding it and image management, we need to just own it and take it to God. This is who I am, and this is who you are. Did you know that even secular psychologists, when they're helping patients deal with their past and trauma, would say one of the quickest ways to healing is to own that this happened to you and accept it? Even non-Bible guys would say, One of the quickest ways to heal through this is to own that it's true. Don't ignore it. Don't ignite it. But just just be honest, God. This is is what's true. And then honesty, it brings new life. It brings, I I gotta own my past, number one. Number two, this is a process, not an event. This is a process and not an event. How many of y'all have ever read through the Psalms and wondered, is David schizophrenic? One moment, David is like, God, you're near. You're so close to me. Turn the page. Where are you? God, I'm never going to leave you. Psalm 51. It's, It's a process, not an event. Now listen, your forgiveness, an event. It's done. It's paid for. Grave is empty. Jesus sitting at the right hand making daily intercession for you. He's coming back to get you. Done. The stains in your life, in God's eyes, gone. The sin you can't forget, God doesn't remember. Gone. But in our life, it's a process. Healing and transformation is a process. And we want things right now. We want minute rice. We want fast food. We want microwave popcorn and streaming on demand. We want it now. But if you read through the Bible and you look at the New Testament, most of those letters that Paul wrote were letters to churches that were full of believers that he preached the gospel to. Not that they would be saved yet again, but that they would hear and be reminded of the truth that did save them and the truth that does keep them. God forgives and cleanses in a moment but it's a process of us learning to walk in that. You think about it like this. If you were to be in a bell tower and you were to grab the rope and, and ring the bell, and it would be loud. That's like our past reminding us of who we are. And the quickest way for your past to stop owning you in that moment is to let go of the rope and stop ringing the bell. Does that make sense? 
But if you let go of the rope after ringing the bell, does the bell immediately stop ringing, yes or no? No. It'll stop if you don't pick the rope back up. But there's a season where the bell rings. And so part of doing life with other believers, a part of getting into the word and reminding yourself of who Jesus is, is you letting go of the rope and say, God, this is who you are. I still hear the bell, but it's gonna fade because I'm not gonna grab the rope anymore and remind myself. And you might be tempted. You might be tempted to grab on. You might even ring it one more time, but the, the less you grab and the more you let go, the bell eventually stops ringing. Jesus, this is who you are, and I am forgiven, and I am clean, and I'm gonna walk in it. But it's a process, not an event. Lastly, glory in what Jesus has done. Hello. Celebrate what God has done. Verse 12, David said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. I didn't save myself, you saved me. The Bible says, when I was your enemy, Christ died for me. Remind me of that. Make a steadfast spirit in me. Restore the joy in here. And listen to me, if you would put half of the attention on Jesus that you do on your failure, revival might break out for you tonight. Because the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is the dismantling of the evil's plans for you. And it's the celebration of Jesus who rescued you and restored you. That's how your past gets forgotten. I'm gonna own it. It's a process, not an event, and then I'm just gonna glory. And then ultimately, that's how our past gets celebrated because you can say, this is not who I am, that's who I was. And now this is who I'm becoming. And it's a lifetime of walking with your king and owning our forgiveness and owning it, walking in it and sharing it with others. So we ask at the beginning, has there ever been a time in your life where something happened and you wondered in that moment, how does God see you? How does God feel about you? What does God think of you? I want to read to you Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14. It says this, it says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession because we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness but one who has been tempted in every way as we are and yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive grace to help in a time of need. How does Jesus feel about you this morning if you're his? Hebrews tells you mercy. Hebrews tells you sympathy. Hebrews tells you love and compassion. Jesus is not rolling his eyes over you this morning. The Bible says that he has sympathy. That's sympatheo, to suffer right alongside with. Because Jesus walked in our shoes, lived on our earth, knew our pain, our temptation, our struggle, walked in our mess, but yet never sinned. And so he knows and that's why he's saying, come to me because the grace that first saved you is the grace that awaits you. And yeah, I'm seated on a throne, but it's not a throne that's here to crush you. It's a throne that's here to receive you and love you. And then the Bible says, therefore, let us draw near to him with confidence. How many of y'all have a dog? Show of hands. I have two. 
two big old labs. And I think they have the nicest doghouse I've ever seen because it's my house. I feed them the food they like. I groom them, and they still shed all over my dark hardwood floors. Give them a big old backyard to play in, and they leave messes everywhere they go. From the time they were a puppy, brand new, eight-week-old puppy, they've been in my house and in my care, and I've never harmed them once. I've loved and cared and provided and nurtured those dogs. But there are times when I come home, I can know if they've done something wrong. I can look at them and know. Because this big 120-pound lab will tuck her tail when she sees me and go hide under a tiny little chair. What are you doing? All I have to do is say her name, Belle, and she's gone. Whoop. And I'm like, Belle, I've never hurt you. I've never harmed you. The only thing your master has ever done is loved you, provided for you, cared for you, adopted you, named you, gave you a home, gave you a future. And you ate a sock and you're going to run from me? master's never done anything to cause you to run from him. Never. There's not one instance in scripture or in the lives of others where our God has not proved faithful and true. David blew it like never before. Makes your sins look like junior varsity. And in the moment of despair and darkness, he went to his king and said, I've sinned against you, God. Wash me. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Restore joy. Provide what only you can provide in this moment because I know who you are. What's keeping you from doing the same thing? You want to let go of your past? You got to own it. You got to glory in who Jesus is. We want to give you some space to do that. Maybe this is your first time at church. Maybe you're trying church out for the first time in a long time. We're so glad you're here. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a really long time. What do you, what do you need to let go of? We want to give you some space to process with the Lord. So let's just close our eyes for a minute. I begin by talking to those who are are not followers of Jesus. You're not a Christian or you're not really sure that you are. I've heard people say, man, if I ever, if I ever walked in a church, man, that place would burn down or fall down. I'd say, brother or sister, if that's what you're thinking, you, you don't know the story of the person sitting on your row, man. You don't know my story because it's full of brokenness and regret. But there are a lot of people in this room that met a God that would love them and forgive them and treasure them and call them into greater purposes and destinies. And I want to invite you to follow that same Jesus. And if you feel God calling your heart and you, you, you want new life and you want to be a son or daughter of the King, 
then today I would invite you to pray something like this. Say, dear God, my sin is ever before me and I can't fix it. But I know that you can heal me, you can forgive me, and you can cleanse me. I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. I believe he is the son of God who left heaven, came to earth, was crucified, buried, and rose again. And in this morning, I accept your forgiveness through Jesus. I want to belong to you. And if that's you, you may not know what all it means to follow Jesus, but if you want to follow Jesus today, do that, and we will help you grow. We will help you begin a new life. Tell someone. Write it on a communication card. Come to next steps. Tell your friend. Let us celebrate. It's the greatest thing that we get to celebrate. What's keeping you from God's grace? And for those who are believers here, I want to give you a space just to Say to Jesus what he already knows. Maybe it's a 10-year-old haunting. Maybe it's a, it's a haunting that's new from last night because you've said, I'm never doing that again. And then, boom, you did it again. Never doing that again. Shows back up. Take it to Jesus. Believe that you're forgiven. Forgiven. Believe that you are clean. Receive it. Jesus, may your love and mercy and forgiveness reign in our hearts and in our church. Thank you for the good news and the good work of the gospel. We want to celebrate it and sing it. In Jesus' name.